Welcome to the Happy Dog, Happy Human podcast, where we explore the intersection between human mental health and our relationships with dogs. This is Sharon. And I'm Angela. In season two, we're exploring social and cultural phenomena that impact our well being so we can reduce stigma and challenge the status quo while also learning better ways to care for ourselves and our dogs throughout the journey. We hope you love it. Hey, everyone. This is Sharon. And this is Angela. Welcome to our second to last episode of season two, which means one more topic to go. And we are very excited to dive into the topic of neurodiversity. And in this episode, we are going to discuss what it is, uh, what it means, um, how it has impacted both Sharon and I personally, and um, then we will have a break to hear from our sponsor. And after our break, we're going to talk about how to challenge um, ableism and also how to challenge uh, internalized stigma if um, you do identify as neurodiverse. Um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Cool. I'm looking forward to this conversation. <clears throat> Me too. Mm-hmm. But I'm also ready to take some breaths because I don't feel centered okay. <laughs> right now. So I would like to feel centered. <laughs> awesome. I'm so glad that you named that. So let's care for ourselves with a few deep breaths and then we will get into this topic. Sounds good. That always feels so nourishing. Yes, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, welcome back and also happy new year. Uh, yeah. We survived the holidays and we're in a new year with some intentions um, that uh, I think we uh, both have our own intentions and goals to uh see this new year through so just wanted to name that and say mm-hmm. welcome back everyone yeah totally do you want to name any intention briefly before Absolutely. we start yes I would love to so um, I pick a word every year and uh, this year I've picked the word to slow down mm-hmm. um, and uh, challenge that urgency culture that is within me yeah. um, and uh, I think I've been doing a good job already so happy mm-hmm. happy uh, that I'm trying to manifest slowing down mm-hmm. awesome that's so challenging especially at the new year when it's all like resolutions and like all this energy to like accomplish things oh my gosh it's all about speeding up I mean the amount of people showing up to my Zumba class has been like astonishing <laughs> I bet <laughs> it's <was> January <laughs> yep <laughs> give it a few weeks <laughs> what about you Sharon what are what are your uh intentions for this year I have, um, I've been inspired to choose words ever since uh, you told me that you do that. 
And this year I'm trying it a little differently. I chose a word on my birthday hmm. for my birth year. And that word is nurturance. So I'm really trying to nurture myself and think about how, um, like how to do that in every corner of my life. And then for the new year, I'm choosing a word for my business and the word is community. Oh, I love that idea. I love yeah. that you both, uh, for your birth year and for, for new year's. That's great. Yeah. And, uh, community. I like, I like both of those. Nurturing community. You can put them together mm-hmm. too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really thinking about like, how can I nurture my community? How can I nurture myself and how will that impact my community? Yeah. Those all great thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so uh, moving into our topic. <laughs> yes. What is neurodiversity? What is neurodiversity? Well, my understanding of it, um, I do want to preface by saying that I feel like this is a fairly new concept. Um, well, it is a fairly new concept. It was coined in the early 1990s, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm forgetting her name right now. Judy a Singer, a sociologist. Judy Singer, a sociologist. So she coined the term um, to be more inclusive with talk when talking about intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Um and I feel like that word has, or the concept has become more popularized really in the recent, like since the pandemic, I would say since yeah. 2020, you've been hearing it a lot more. Um, I think the younger generation, those Gen Zers are using it a lot more. Um, and uh, so I, yeah, it's not something that when I was going to grad school or even when I was um, actively working in the social work field, it's not, it was not something that we were using very much. So I do want to preface by saying it's not, uh, neurodiversity is not a uh, conversation that I have gotten into too much. So I am excited about today, but I definitely feel like a little bit of a newbie <laughs> getting into it. Oh, I um, hearing you say that because I think sometimes... I put a lot of pressure on myself to like be an expert, um, especially with neurodiversity, because I brought that into my work quite a bit. And, um, and yeah, I don't feel like I know everything and I don't want to feel like I have to know everything. So yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. And again, these are, these are exploratory conversations that we're having and we're bringing listeners in and, you know, we always value, um, people's comments as well and feedback and, uh, you know you we're always available and and excited to hear those as well yeah um so basically my understanding of neurodiversity is in the word itself it just means that we all have uh different brains (laughs) and our brains work differently um but more specifically that we can have I think it's been used a lot when talking about um uh, autistic people that they've they've sort of taken on that word or people with learning disabilities as well um uh that they've taken on the word that for a long time uh being autistic you know had or still does has a lot of stigma on it um that you're there's something wrong with you there's something wrong with your brain and that's why you socialize the way you do or you don't have um language mastery or or whatever comes along with that um And I think with the word neurodiversity, it's really saying, okay, well, we all have different ways of thinking. It does not make one way better than the other. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's my sort of blanket understanding of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
yeah, I understand it in the same way that, yeah, like we are, every nervous system um, functions differently and there's no right or wrong way to function. Yeah. And so what we're really talking about, it's, it's, it's almost, I mean, it is part of like a social, the social justice movement of, um, you know, just because like my brain is different, it doesn't make me less than, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. what, than the status quo. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, which is interesting because of course we're all individuals. We're all different. We're all unique. We all have, you know, unique sensory um sensory uh processing we all have unique moods we have all unique biorhythms um so I think it is also in celebration you know by using that word we're also celebrating our differences Mm -hmm. yeah it's important to see things differently right like if everybody looking at one situation was seeing the same things then we would be missing something or we wouldn't have all the ideas that we need to solve problems you know I like it's like, it's like really important like I'm thinking about the difference in uh thinking patterns like some people think linearly where they go from one thing to the next and they can just see a goal and go straight toward it and then other people have more associative thinking styles where they it almost like branches out like a web like ooh I'm thinking about this and now that makes me think of this other thing over here and and how that way of thinking is so important for like thinking outside the box and recognizing all aspects of something or just creativity and like coming up with something new I love the way you're you're d- describing it and talking about it cuz it, it's sort of similar when we were talking season 1 about symptoms that we're not looking at like um <clears throat> somebody as a as a as a label um or or a word that's describes a box that you get put into but it's really more about our unique and individual behaviors and ways of thinking and sometimes symptoms that have to do with our suffering and not feeling well as well um because that's unique too it, it's more like all of the little things that make make us us as individuals um yeah and um I mean what gets me thinking and it's interesting because I you know was diagnosed and labeled with mental health disorders from a very young age um like the first one I got slapped on was separation anxiety when I was Mm -hmm. nine years old so a lot of my identity, I wouldn't say now, but a lot of my identity sort of growing up uh, was included these disorders that I was given. And I was given many uh, throughout my time, which is usually what happens. So like once you get into this world, um, you know, whether it's because you're seeing different psychiatrists or insurance or blah, 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 you get slapped on all these labels or also the overlap of all of these mental health issues. Um, They're so close together. They're so connected. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, like, I I don't know. And and when I think back on it now, I, I feel very conflicted and confused, I think about all these labels 
Um, I don't even really use them anymore. And I used to use them in a way, not with pride, but I felt like, okay, I have this thing and I'm not going to hide from it. And I'm going to speak about it to connect with people and try to end stigma. But yeah, but the older I get, and actually with the word neurodiversity being thrown around more now, which was not something that was happening while I was growing up, yeah, I do feel in a way I feel that power of like throwing out all these labels and just being like, yeah, I'm, I'm different. Mm. I'm neurodiverse. I'm different. That's it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I love that. You sound really empowered when you say it like that. Yeah. I mean, because it gets confusing and I don't know if you've had similar experiences. I think you have like going through all these mental health avenues you know, and I'm, I'm, we've been open and honest. So I, I'll just say like, I have, like, if, if you, if I give you the long list, it's like, okay, I have an eating disorder. I have bipolar two disorder. I have general anxiety. I have panic disorder. Like it's like, blah, 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 blah. Like I have ADHD. Like I've gotten all of these labels and what am I supposed to do with all of that? <laughs> like, right. Yeah. I don't it's know what to do with all of that. Yeah, it sounds like a like a collection of them. And I have had similar experiences. And I yeah, I've have labels of adjustment disorder with anxiety, social anxiety disorder, post traumatic stress disorder. And like, one of the common themes is like every label has disorder attached to it, which kind of like when you get these labels and not every, I have, I haven't known every label that every professional has given me because a lot of times they don't even tell you. Um, they just like decide. And, um, but when I do find out then I'm kind of like, on the one hand, it's kind of like, oh, like that explains a lot of things. But then on the other hand, it's like, wait, am I just collecting these for my, and they follow me for my whole life? Are these labels that are just like, that's me and that's it. And there's no like overcoming that or like are any of them temporary <laughs> like can you heal from them you know like it's just like this collection of labels that contribute to your identity and then and all of them say disorder I mean yeah and obviously the word disorder like inherently means there's something wrong with you like that's what disorders is pointing to and we have to remember also that these mental health labels come from the medical profession. Right. And so the medical profession looks at disease. They look at what's wrong with. Yeah. Um, yeah. And sometimes the medicalization of mental health, I mean, has, I, I think has, has been a, actually a big disservice to mental health in general. Mm -hmm. uh, because the medicalization means, you know, pushing pills. And again, I'm, I'm on an antidepressant. Like I'm never going, I tell everybody to get on one, like it would probably be good <laughs> for them. So like, right. very grateful for modern medicine. I'm very grateful for medication. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen medication help many people, including myself. And at the same time, you know, there can be an ant. Um, I think, yeah, I think that th there's been jumps to using <clears throat> this medical language and things like medication, Western medicine, when somebody's suffering from a mental health crisis, let's call it that, or a, a breakdown in their mental health. Um, instead of looking at the whole person, you know, we're looking at it as a broken leg. 
Mm, yeah. And also not looking at the environment that the person is in and the ways in which the environment contributes to their health status. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that's what that originally I was interested in social work or I was attracted to social work because that social work is more about looking at person and environment, mm-hmm. not, um, you know, I, cause I could have gone the clinical psych route, for example, but that, that to me just didn't feel right because you're saying there's something wrong with you. Right. Like, yeah. like it's looking at what's, what's wrong with you instead of like, what, what, what are all the things contributing to this breakdown in your mental health? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Social work for taking yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really appreciate it. And I think that's why I appreciate the the word neurodiversity because it is also sort of this anti um, this, this pushback to the medical labelization labeling labelization I don't think that's a word the pushback to, it is now <laughs> it is now I made it one to mental health or to the labeling of mental health in <clears throat> in a in a in a like in a disease uh format yeah 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 and I think that was the initial aim of of neurodiversity was to like be like actually everybody is unique <laughs> there's not one yeah. way that like these people are doing it and another way that everyone else is doing it. Um, And I want to introduce additional words that we can use that even strengthen that like non-deficit perspective, which are the words neurodivergent versus neurotypical. So um, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'm waiting. (laughs) So neurodivergent is a term that was introduced by somebody else named Cassiane Asasumasu in 1999 or 2000. And this is a term that just um, describes that individuals or groups of individuals have different ways of functioning neurologically than the dominant societal standard of what is quote unquote normal. Um, and neurotypical it was then it then came about as sort of like the opposite. So neurotypical people do function within that dominant societal standard of quote unquote normal. So these are not medical labels. These are social justice terms. Um, they're not diagnoses or anything like that. It's just um, a description of like in our society when we expect or like our views of certain behavior as normal, um, people who can operate that way. And I kind of think it as like people who can operate in society, like in schools and workplaces and public places, and who don't need additional support to be able to function within those environments. And then neurodivergent people diverge from that norm. They separate from that norm and are different um, and sometimes do need support in order to be able to participate fully in the established environments, but that's not because there's something wrong with them. It's because the environments are catering to or are built for neurotypical people. That makes a lot of sense. I definitely identify with being neurodivergent. <laughs> mm-hmm, same. <laughs> I, I I honestly I cannot function in a in a it's true I can't I can't function in a workspace at all I can't what's expected of me I my it completely breaks down my mental health mm-hmm. 
which is why I'm living in Italy. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'm trying to do things differently because I, I, yeah, it's uh, absolutely like I would, I would need to be like, you know, heavily medicated to be able to function in in those spaces. Um, because what's expected is a lot of like masking, a lot of like pretending a lot of game, uh, political sort of games and masking and not wearing your emotions on your sleeve and, mm-hmm. and sitting I just, still a lot of the time sitting still. Yeah. And, uh, that's true. Sitting still, not rolling your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Saying yes, sir. And not asking questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, uh, but sometimes I also ask myself, like, who is, who is neurotypical? You know, there, <laughs> there has been so many, like, people just burning out left and right, working in these jobs. I mean, yeah. I, nowadays, like, the, the people that I meet who, who can survive those, those environments without extra help mm. seem to be very few and far between. Or some people are just better at holding it together yeah yeah but they are still suffering in some way yeah yeah I wonder that too because like a lot of what we um perceive as normal behavior also is kind of like quote-unquote civilized behavior Mm -hmm. and it like this kind of like makes me think of like um the I guess colonization of America you know what I mean and this view that indigenous people were uncivilized even Mm -hmm. though they had extremely developed societies and um, we even copied you know their government structure because it was so much more advanced than that than western society Um, but like so like what what is normal then like is it just what we think of as civilized but is that even normal for humans or is it more normal to be like more wild and like listening to your body and living in line with the um the rhythms of the earth you know and like getting upset when things are upsetting <laughs> you know and not holding it in or pretending everything is fine yeah i mean so okay i'm listening to this book um called uh hunt gather parent and it is a parenting book but it's also I think everybody should read it it's very eye-opening um and one of the things that the author introduces um us to is this piece of research where (laughs) first of all they call westerners weird (laughs) so western educated industrialized rich democracies (laughs) and apparently we I'm going to say we because Sharon and I are part of uh, this weird population (laughs) (laughs) are um make up a very small percentage of the world very (laughs) very small it's like 11 percent or something Mm. and apparently we have very weird behaviors compared to (laughs) Mm-hmm. the universal humans and how they behave oh, wow. in the rest of the world and the rest of the 90 percent which I just you know found so fascinating and also she introduces which I knew before but I'll say it here that 90 like 99 percent of our 
psychological field the research has only been done on these weird Mm. populations and so our understanding of like human behavior and this includes things like mental health labels Mm -hmm. are in fact completely unapplicable Mm. to most of the world to 90 percent of the world I mean I'm just trying to like turn this into bigger picture of how like western society culturally has developed these very strange ways of looking at ourselves (laughs) wow yeah thanks for saying that that's like really eye-opening yeah Mm -hmm. yeah especially because when you're in these um you know eurocentric worlds you we we view ourselves like there's this elitism that comes Mm -hmm. in and we view ourselves as having more knowledge and our knowledge is more important and everybody else has nothing to offer and this particular book is about looking at parenting practices in in, um small hunter-gatherer communities that still exist Mm -hmm. that have been passed down for generations Mm -hmm. and these kids are not suffering from things like depression and anxiety and you know this all tie it ties back to in these western worlds like these generations I mean they're saying that they're suffering from loneliness like never before and so are adults not just you know teenagers yeah um and so I, I I think I'm saying all this because it's really like time to look outside of ourselves, this culture, and not to romanticize other, you know, hunter-gatherer cultures that communities that are still in existence, like they struggle a lot. Like there's things that are very difficult and challenging. And, you know, there's, it's, I think it's also would be, um, it's not, you know, good to, to go flip the coin on the other side and romanticize also, but there is things to be learned from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's what I have to say. I don't yeah, know if you have of... a response. <laughs> well, it sounds like um, eliminating a hierarchical view of the world, you know, like not looking at a certain society as better you know and and the other one as worse or not looking at one society as developed and the other as not developed you know or or first world versus third world it's like no we're they're just different they're both valuable we both have things to contribute um and we can't discount things you know or discredit things just because it's different than the way we would do it yeah and i you know what this goes back to the neurodiversity also like it's the same thing for every individual and it's a disservice to humanity and to society to try to create this like normal box of functioning mm-hmm. um, you know because as you and I have seen at the in our previous work people who have you know pretty severe symptoms of a mental of mental health conditions I'll call them conditions for now um are able to be productive very productive Mm -hmm. parts of society if we would 
allow them to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that word allow because it, it it there is a definite gatekeeping. There uh, is. You know, like you were talking about with employment, like only yes. certain people can, can function. And like, and then if you can't, then you have to ask for an accommodation and it's supposed to be reasonable, which just means that it's supposed to not cost the company any money, <laughs> you know? And like, and sometimes you don't get what you actually need. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's interesting also because with, with mental health, well, well, I was also, okay. So I was going to go back to mental health labels because I was thinking about also, um, like at work, um, Sorry, I just got lost again in my head. I was listening to you so well. This always happens to me. <laughs> it's okay. Sometimes I think maybe your brain needs a, a pause to like integrate what we just said. And well, I also have that brain. Just I have. Oh, sorry. Oh no, no, sorry. <laughs> I have that brain you were describing earlier. Like I get these ideas <laughs> while I'm thinking or listening, and it's just hard to to categorize everything and respond appropriately. <laughs> Right. Cause maybe you need more time, you know, like my brain, <laughs> I'm super sensitive in, um, multiple senses. And so I am, my nervous system is picking up on a lot of information and I need time to process it, you know? So I like sometimes in social situations, things are moving so fast that I like, feel like I can't keep up with the pace that I'm quote supposed to unquote. And yeah. And sometimes it's like, I actually need to pause and just listen to what you said again, you know, or just have some silence for a moment to catch up so that I can analyze all the information before I respond. But that's actually like a weird thing or not a weird thing, but like a uncommon thing to ask for or do in a conversation. I love how you're describing this right now, because this is exactly what we're trying to point out in this episode, which is, you know, you have a very specific way of, of socializing and processing information. That's also a very powerful. It makes you an observer and somebody who thinks carefully about what they're listening to and then how, how you will respond. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love how like it, it, you feel empowered enough to actually say, hey, wait a second, um, I need a minute because then you're able to use your strength. And I think that's what's really beautiful. Like if we could ex- all be more accepting of each other and our differences of even our, our neuro differences in that way, how we process things or how we think mm-hmm. or how we are socially, then you really get to pull from people's strengths more and, and that creates like a better world to me you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Wow. I love that you just described it that way, that like, um, catering to our individual needs allows us to access our strengths and contribute more to others. Yeah, exactly. Because otherwise, you know, it, and I'm sure you've experienced this, you, you feel like, Oh, I, I have social anxiety. I just can't say anything. I'm just going to sit here and like, yeah just be anxious mm-hmm. yes that's like yeah. most of my life <laughs> yeah, exactly. mm-hmm. yeah and that again like that's just that for you that's not good for you it's not good for the people you're with it's not good for society on a whole and 
yeah, I think that's that's just what's been so not helpful with trying to standardize people, <laughs> make people think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Wow. But I also want to say with when it comes to mental health labels, you know, there is a second, there are two sides of the coin. Mental health labels, I think, can also be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know when I, well, especially I can go back to the separation anxiety label. Yeah. Knowing that when I was nine was a relief also, because I really thought there was something wrong with me. I couldn't go to school. My parents thought there was something wrong with me. I couldn't go to school in the morning because I was so anxious. I would have panic attacks and to be able to say, oh, this is what's, what's going on with me, um, was really important. Uh, but I guess it's just the verbiage that we use the, the, the disorder, the disease, you know, if, if we could label things without that word next to it, um, because power of words, power of language. And I've always been a big advocator of just describing symptoms. Mm, yeah. But in that moment, as a nine-year-old, I needed, I did need the label that set me apart from other kids to get help and to be able to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like maybe even to understand yourself better. Also, also. Mm-hmm. And I think now for some reason, those labels, they just, I mean, it doesn't mean that I don't have any of the symptoms anymore. Um, we were talking earlier with the label. Does that mean it goes away? I had a psychiatrist say that you're in remission when you are feeling better. (laughs) Oh, okay. Interesting. Like, so it's a part of you, but it never goes away. So you can be in remission, I guess. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I just don't feel the need to describe myself with those labels anymore. And it's not because of stigma Uh, because I'm not afraid of what people will think of me if I use those labels. Um, But I just, yeah, I just don't find them valuable in when I'm talking about myself or even when I'm having a hard time, I don't find it valuable to say I have this, you know, I, I more will say I'm feeling this way Mm. or I'm having a flare in my anxiety. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, Uh totally. I think um, I'm relating to this through my exposure to the term and label um, neurodivergent um, because I didn't have, I didn't get any labels or have access to a, a mental health professional until I was in my twenties. And mm-hmm. then um, I didn't know about my neurodivergence until I was in my thirties. And so I had a long time of believing like there was something wrong with me and not having language to describe my experience or to ask for help or to say what I needed. And so when I, it wasn't until I was in OT school that I learned about sensory processing and understood my hypersensitivities and differences with how I process uh, sensation and um and then when i came across the term neurodivergent 
um, that was when I was like, oh my gosh, this label is so helpful because it was like a finally having a way to think about myself that was not disordered or wrong or defective. Um, and really having an understanding of sensory processing helped me to recognize like, oh, I just need more time in social situations or like I can't spend as much time in certain environments because I get overstimulated, you know? So like it was, um, I think I have a similar um, experience of feeling like the the terms are helpful. The words and labels are helpful mm. um, that, yeah. So now I have more acceptance of myself because of those. Yeah. So there, there's, I mean, there's obviously a place for them, you know, and, and that's important too. Um, but yeah, I think those, the disorder, those terms are just becoming archaic a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Because like, yeah, it's like too much focus on what could potentially be wrong with an individual, like we were saying before, and not enough focus on the big picture and like what else is actually happening or the fact that like you're just different. It's not wrong. It's just you're you're different. And, and it's not strengths based also, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. <clears throat> and I think it's like you're trying to do I mean, it, this is definitely this is a hard it's a hard thing, hard distinction because. OK, so let's say. I have a mood disorder. That's what I used to tell people because I didn't like to say bipolar too because people didn't understand what that meant. So I'd say I have a mood disorder. Mm -hmm. And so what does that mean? It means that I am pretty sensitive mm -hmm. and that I have uh, labile moods. Um, and I do. It is also part of who I am. Like I, I just am like that. Sometimes those moods have gone into spaces where I have not been able to function properly. Um, and not just like in, in everyday, not just in social or where I'm supposed to function, but actually enough that I'm, I am suffering on an internal level and can't enjoy things. Um, and that's when I guess it becomes disordered, right. Or that I need to ask for help, but yeah, it, it is also just part of who I am, these labile moods, right? So, and and this is where I don't, again, where I don't like using the word disorder, but then sometimes my labile moods get into a space where I do need some form of outside help. Mm. So it's a little like confusing to me. Um, and in my life now, for example, I haven't had... I haven't been so up or down that I've needed external help in a long time. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why I don't use those labels as much, mm. or maybe I've just learned how to manage it better. Mm. And I've never, I just don't feel that need anymore to, to use them the same way. I don't know. Mm. I'm not well, sure. Yeah. Well, it's making me think of how you said, that's why I moved to Italy. So I'm, I'm wondering, <laughs> like, did you find an environment where you can thrive and maybe you, and, and also, you know how to take care of yourself better and you understand yourself better, but like that combination of knowing self, having coping strategies and having a supportive environment means that like the disordered part doesn't feel like it's there anymore because you're in an environment where you can function and thrive. 
that I think that's what it is. So it feels almost like wrong to use that label now because I'm just not in that space and haven't been in a long time. Or if I feel myself going there, mm-hmm. like you said, I have the tools, the ability, the right environment yeah, to be able to stop, you know, stop it from, from going out of those norms. And also I just feel like myself, like if you ask me what I am or who I am, I'm Angela. I don't know. I'm Angela. I've got funky moods. I have a chaotic brain. Uh, you know, I get really anxious that people are mad at me sometimes. And those are just all parts of who I am also, you know, and I, and I know that those things can get a little bit out of whack and, and, but then where does the line begin and where does it end of like what the, the disorder is and what's not, that's why I don't like the labels. That's why I prefer symptoms, you know, because mm-hmm. that is more like, okay, I'm, I'm experiencing these panic attacks. Like that's such a different thing than saying I have a panic disorder. Totally. Wow. Yeah. Such a shift. Hmm. I was thinking of something yeah. and I forgot. Yeah. Welcome to my brain. <laughs> oh yeah. Like talking about <laughs> symptoms is more specific. That's what I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking about those terms, high functioning and low functioning which often get applied to autistic people. And those terms don't actually mean anything because they are not specific, you know? I think basically, actually one of my um, mentors, Deborah Pitts at USC, she she hated those terms, high functioning and low functioning um, because they were not specific. And she's like, really what people mean is whether or not the, the, the patient or the individual can talk to you and tell you what's yes, happening. That's so true. Mm-hmm. That is like, basically. Yeah. And even if somebody doesn't use verbal language, that doesn't mean that they're not aware of what's happening or can't tell you in some way. Right. Well, that's because we're a culture that heavily relies on language. Mm-hmm. By the way, that was the other interesting thing. And that book I was talking about earlier, The Hunt Gather Parent, mm-hmm. they also talk about how uh, us weird, weird people, <laughs> I love using that. So, Western. <laughs> culture that we rely heavily on language and we we do with uh, raising our children many many cultures do not yeah. hyper focus on language they use other forms of communication but be- because we're so you know eurocentric in the way that we think we think that this is the right way to do things you know you get told when you have a baby talk to the baby uh narrate everything that you're doing like, where did we get that advice? That's not, I mean, I don't know if it's a bad thing. It's probably not, but you know, that, yeah, it's not based in any scientific evidence. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. And telling kids use your words. I feel right. like that's not helpful. <laughs> no. And trust me, the, the mother of a, of a three-nager, sometimes she is not, cannot use her words and it's just, right she's not able to she's developmentally not able to in certain moments to use her words you know yeah so but I think that's interesting especially when we're talking about autism because that is such a a marker for when we decide to call someone autistic Mm, yeah wow and autism also, I mean, talk about neurodiversity in that spectrum. I, there are so, it looks so different. I mean, that that's why that term almost doesn't even work for me because you've got just such different um, manifestations or, or like individuals within that umbrella. 
Yeah. It's just like, what is, what is this umbrella anyway? Like, <laughs> if that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of feel the same way about some of these mental health labels. Like now everybody has depression. Everybody has anxiety, mm. you know? So what are we a hundred percent of the world now is all going to have an anxiety disorder. I mean, that, that also, yeah, I just, it, it doesn't really work. Like people have had episodes of anxiety and depression throughout their life. People have burnout. A lot of times these things are situational yeah. because of our environments, mm-hmm. but then we're going to slap these labels on a hundred percent of the world. Like the, what is, what is normal? Like it's going to become the size of our pinky. Mm-hmm. Nobody is going to fit in the box. Yeah. So that's why I also say, I think these labels are archaic because it's just, everybody's mother and sister and brother has has a disorder these days Mm -hmm. yeah wow Hmm. (laughs) I wanted to go back to talking about language and like verbal versus nonverbal um and how like verbal language is only one small way to communicate um because with our dogs they don't use language and and i think there's something about being neurodivergent and like knowing that and accepting that about yourself and then having that contribute to your ability to understand your dog better maybe um but then also there are challenges with dog guardianship when you're neurodivergent and have different ways of processing or experiencing sensation and and things definitely i mean i can think of challenges that have to do mostly with being sensory overloaded um you know so if you're sensitive to hearing which i am like barking and Mm -hmm. uh whining can really like hit you in a different way (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's like there are certain types of barks and whines that are physically painful to experience and and so then yeah that contributes to your ability to understand your dog or to show up for them or respond to them Um, and it impacts your capacity for experiencing sound or sensation um, across your day yeah. And, uh, you know, also like the chaos of, of, well, I don't want to use chaos, but maybe the lack of control that you have over another being such as a dog, mm-hmm. um, can be very triggering for some people. Um, yeah, especially with a reactive dog, especially with a reactive dog. And so depending on your own reactions or how reactive you are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was just talking about my own moods, <laughs> you know, that can, trigger you also to uh, feel a certain way or get into a certain mood mm-hmm. yeah I can definitely attest to that like um, because I was speaking before about social situations happening so fast and needing more time and then when I'm walking muggins that's a social situation because I have a the muggins has a social demand on me for example like they need me to pay attention to them and tell them things and and also listen to them and then if we encounter anyone else on the walk and that person talks to us, then it's like, God forbid. I know. Right. And that's how I feel sometimes I'm like seeing people and I'm like, oh my goodness, they're, what if they come? Uh, like how, where should I go? How close should I get? You know, like, what am I going to triggers say? your anxiety? Yeah. Right. And like, yeah. depending on what they say, and especially if it's like, they ask, is your dog friendly? Like, 
that question trips me up so much because it's not a yes or no question, really. They're they're pretending that it is, but it's not. And then they are thinking that they're asking, can my dog say hi to you? But they're actually, they're saying, is your dog friendly? And then like my brain is trying to process all of this and like also look at like, okay, how is Muggins feeling right now? And what is that other dog doing? And if I say yes, what are they going to do? And if I say no, what are they going to think? And what should I uh, what should I do right now? <laughs> you know, and like all of this is happening and I'm like, ah. <laughs> I think we're sensitive to like, like, that's why I use the word chaos. We're sensitive. <laughs> and I only started using that word because of my toddler, because of the chaos she comes <laughs> in my life. Makes sense. But I feel very sensitive to it. And when things get out of order, you know, it just creates I don't know. I think for people, neurodivergent people, it, it triggers like a stress response, right? Mm-hmm. And the more beings you have around you, the more that that stress response is going to be activated. Um, and that's hard. That's really hard to deal with. I think I struggle with that a lot. And I struggle with that with my dogs too. And sometimes it, it can look like anger, you know, the response, the stress response. It can look also like feeling guilty. Mm-hmm. Like I'm doing something wrong, yeah. um, but it can totally spiral me, you know, mentally. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Same. Yeah. Like I've had experience where Muggins is pull, like pulls me toward another person and a dog. Um, and like, however that turns out, whether it's like Muggins rushes up to the other dog too fast and the dog gets scared or Muggins pulls me off my feet, or I'm just like embarrassed because my dog is pulling me down the street. And then the person says, who's walking who <laughs> yeah. and then I'll go home and I'll just be in a shame spiral the rest of the day you know yeah like, yeah I, and I'm thinking like why all the things that I did wrong right like I didn't yeah. do right I didn't set boundaries I didn't guide muggins enough I wasn't strong enough when it's like there are so many things that were outside of my control in that situation well, and I think also on the, on the flip side of, of this is that it c- can create situations to really help us learn how to cope with those things too, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I try to look at it like, like that also, that these are learning experiences to, okay, practice mindfulness, practice my breathing, practice taking a break, uh, practice problem solving, um, which I think is, yeah, again, there's two always two sides to the coin (laughs) yeah yeah so the flip side I think of being neurodivergent and living with dogs is like there are so many gifts and opportunities that the dog provides um like one is like learning to recognize nonverbal cues in myself and the dog and like really having a strong sense of like that is valid communication um and really validating myself Um, But then also like the, the sensory yummies, you know, of like laying next to my dog and like, or having my lap and having that deep pressure and that soft fur and that warmth. Yeah. That's my favorite thing to do these days. I love to lay with all of them on top of me. (laughs) I love that doggy pile. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's why, uh, you know, dogs can be so good for your mental health in many different ways and not just in the traditional ways, you know, and in the way that we're talking about traditional as in, okay, they, they obviously provide companionship and 
-hmm. you know, we get those great hormones when we pet them, but they also provide us with, with these really great uh, moments to help ourselves. If we let those moments, um, if we take those moments as opportunity. Oh, I love how you said that. That makes me think about how I've, um, sometimes I've struggled with anxiety in regards to my work. And then that causes me to like have difficulty taking breaks. And Muggins has been really helpful because I, um, I allow Muggins to like come in to my office. Right. And they'll come and get me and ask me for things like, can we go play? Can we take a walk? Can we eat now? And I've had to make sure that I always listen to that. And that has actually helped me to have an easier time taking breaks from work, which means I don't get as anxious when I'm working because I'm taking breaks more often. And I have a really like fun way to remind myself to have a break, which is my like cute puppy is coming and putting their chin on my lap, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, oh, cool. It's break time. I think that's also shows, I mean, and that's the the power and what we were saying that you're taking the opportunity, you know, some people could just be like, go away, be quiet, leave me alone. Yeah. And I, I think, believe me. <laughs> I think that's so important to look at, to, that we look at those things as opportunities and um, take them, you know, grab them, grab your yeah. puppy. <laughs> exactly. Puppy opportunity. <laughs> puppy opportunity. That's a good one. <laughs> shall we take a break and hear from our sponsor I feel like this is a good spot well we started talking about things that um help us uh our dogs help us and I feel like we can definitely continue this in our second part so yeah let's do it we are so grateful to Benson's Pet Center for partnering with us on today's episode Benson's Pet Center is a multi-generational, family-owned, and operated business with eight locations in the New York Capital Region. Benson's has the largest selection of pet food in the area. If they don't have what you're looking for, they'll even order it for you. You can bring your dog with you to pick out their favorite treats, and you can even give them a bath at the self-serve dog wash in three of their locations. Benson's has competitive pricing, even on subscription services, and I love knowing that my dollars are supporting a local business. The customer service at Benson's is consistently unparalleled, and the staff's extensive knowledge on pet nutrition is amazing. Can't make it out to the store? No problem. Order online before 3 p.m. on weekdays, and Benson's offers same-day delivery. And curbside pickup is available seven days a week. Benson's Pet Center where the motto is, we love your pets. Thank you, Bensons. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. So before the break, we were talking about puppy opportunities or things that your dog might do that provide you with an opportunity to care for yourself. And now we're going to expand on that. And I really want to go back to like making sure that we talk about ways to resist the medical model of viewing different ways of functioning as defective or needing to be fixed. So Angela, do you have any thoughts about that? Um, I remember, I'm going to butcher this, but I remember actually at our last um, job, Sharon and I worked out together or where we met uh, we often talked about that maybe the people with mental illness are not us. <laughs> it's actually society mm-hmm. and the builders of society who have the mental illness. <laughs> yes. 
totally yeah which I thought was really powerful uh way yeah. of thinking of it um and our brains instead are just rebelling and saying no like we cannot and will not be put in this box yeah yeah it's like um trying to fit in that box I think for me trying to fit inside boxes in general like <laughs> made me live in ways that like were harming harmful to myself yeah I mean that's what I was saying in the previous um section about working in a normal quote-unquote normal job mm -hmm. the box that I would be forced to put myself in was just so unhealthy for me yeah yeah because you're like denying part that parts of yourself are there you know yeah and denying thoughts and pushing down emotions and just to be able to function within the rat race and within the the structure the hierarchical pecking order Mm -hmm. right yeah so how do we embrace our neurodivergence and get out of that box in a healthy way good question mm -hmm. good question I think it's hard it is for hard. me mm -hmm. I think yeah I still struggle where I go through days like why can't I just be like everyone else mm. but I think sometimes when I look outside of myself and I realized that everybody, everybody is struggling and uh, maybe I'm not so different from everybody else. Maybe some people are just better at hiding it. Mm, yeah, I definitely think that's true. Like if you're, if you're doing great in these systems of like work and school and those environments that like, what are you hiding? What, what part of you are, are you inhibiting? Yeah. And I think that universalism for me anyway, makes, makes me feel better because it, it takes out the feeling of, yeah, it's not as egocentric of like, what's wrong with me. <laughs> and I think that's what psychology and going to psychologists sort of do and the mental label, mental health labels do that, that it makes it a you problem instead of a everybody problem or a societal problem. Mm -hmm. So thinking about it in that context for me is just helpful in general. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at the same time for me, it's been like learning myself has been really helpful, you know, like really um, like knowing that I have sensory processing differences literally changed my life, you know, like it allowed me to be like, oh, I can't process sound the way that other people do. I have less capacity for certain types of sounds. So I need to set boundaries. I need to just say like, I can't listen to that right now. Or can you turn the volume down? Or I need to bring earplugs to this party because I it's going to be too loud for me. Um, instead of me just being like, oh, there's something wrong with me and like hiding in the corner at the party, <laughs> like waiting to go home. Well, I feel like that does two things. Like one, you know, you're being vulnerable by sharing with other people. And I think that that also takes like vulnerability is the antithesis of of shame, right? Like if you keep things inside and quiet, shame, shame festers. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, being vocal and open, that leads to a path of acceptance. Other people accepting you and you accepting yourself. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and also setting those boundaries. You're living true to who you are. Yeah. That feels good. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. It's like to have the words to be able to say, like, this is what I need. You know, like I'm thinking about, I had this experience um, with my gynecologist where she loves, she's a talker, right? So like <laughs> last year I was, I saw her and she's like friendly and talking like throughout the whole uh, thing, you know, and like, but I, but this is an experience in which somebody has to touch me, you know, touch my body, especially in very vulnerable places. And if I don't know, like where you're going to touch me and when, or what it's going to feel like ahead of time, my anxiety just like explodes. I, I like get so tense. The touch actually feels more intense and um and it's really anxiety provoking so like when I before I had developed my skills with being able to say what I need and set boundaries I would just go into these appointments and just it would just happen and then I would get out of it and be like like she didn't even tell me what she was gonna do and like and then I would feel like violated right and but this year she was talking, you know, telling her stories, <laughs> whatever. And I interrupted her and I said, I need you to tell me exactly what you're going to do before you do it. And she was like, oh, and then she did. And it was like, I was like, oh, great. I just went to the doctor instead of feeling like I was just violated by a health professional, you know, it was yeah, such yeah. a different experience. That's such a, yeah, that's such a different experience, but you're advocating for yourself and that, Mm-hmm. that's going to make you feel good inherently yeah. right yeah it made me feel like I was showing up for myself I was protecting myself I think one of the ways that I protect myself also we were talking about all these mental health labels but this is more emotionally I think maybe you know now that we're talking part of why I've sort of stopped using those mental health labels for myself is also a way of emotionally protecting myself and, and showing up for myself and saying, I'm Angela, like I have these things, but doesn't mean that, you know, I, sometimes I have these symptoms, but that doesn't change who I am. And um, sometimes I may need your help, but I'll ask for your help. But I think not identifying with certain things helps me just feel like myself, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're leaning into just like who you are and your core being and not worrying about like whether you fit into what other people perceive. It's weird because I even do that. Like I I don't care too much for identifying markers in general. Like Mm -hmm. even I'm an American, I'm a this, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a Colombian, whatever. Mm -hmm. I've just like, I just want to be me. Like I just want to be Angela. Totally. Um, so I think there's a freedom for me anyway, because in letting go of a lot of those assigned labels um, that I've been given. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that you're really, yeah. You're a person. I love that. <laughs> I like identifying as a human. Yeah. I like that too. I'm human. I'm Angela. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Exactly. I am the name given by my parents. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think what, I mean, there's so many of just, of course, like self-care things that help, but I think 
managing my lifestyle it sounds like it's similar for you Sharon like managing our lifestyles to fit fit our neurodivergence and our values yeah is what ultimately has helped us feel better um as we've developed it Mm -hmm. absolutely and I would um I would give like I would say there are two like two specific skills that have really helped me to do that one is um, developing my skills for consent and boundaries, like just being able to say, no, I can't do that, or I don't want to do that, or I need this, or can you help me with that, um, has been hugely helpful for me to just be able to communicate my needs and get get my needs met. Um, and then the other part is something I call sensory budgeting, which mm, is like, like really that. understanding my capacity for exposure to sensation and budgeting in terms of like making choices about what I expose myself to and engaging in activities that nourish my nervous system and like add to my budget. So that way I can do the things that I want to do or need to do. I love that idea. That's a, that's a really uh, strong idea. I think of how to move in the world um, when you have sensory um, sensitivities. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that I really learned how to do is how to say no <laughs> it's yeah. part of consent totally. but um you know I'm just branching out on that but it was like a word that I was very bad at using before um actually becoming a therapist interestingly taught me how to say no oh, because awesome. you have to say no a lot <laughs> yeah. and um it's really important to um to what you're saying, like you have to budget. I mean, I think a big thing for me is that I don't budget my emotions properly in terms of uh, giving people too much and uh, learning how to, I, I think this is more personality re- related for myself, but that I, to not burn myself out on giving yeah. um, and not burn my mood out, I need to protect my energy also. And so learning how to say no in those ways, uh, when people ask me favors or ask too much of me, mm-hmm. um, they don't know my boundaries. I know my own. And so that's been a huge, huge, huge helpful thing for me in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so glad to hear you say that. And I think it makes me think of how like, just like being assigned as female at birth and being socialized female, we are praised for saying yes right we're taught mm-hmm. to overgive and overextend ourselves in order to care for everybody else around us and we're taught like that's the marker of a being a good woman or like that's how you do it um and that leads to straight to illness and burnout because we like we can't give ourselves away to everybody no. else no we can't so um yeah we have to protect ourselves emotionally sensory wise Um, I think the thing I would end on is that your tribe is so important. The people you surround yourself with are so important. Um, And that's going to look different for everybody, of course. But having nurturing, supportive people in your life and knowing when to cut off relationships when they're no longer nurturing and supportive, um, I think is like a huge part of, of feeling feeling balanced and feeling well in your, in your neurodiversity also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
definitely and that's like such a hard such a hard thing to do right very to like stay very home in a relationship or and it's dynamic it's always changing I yeah don't think that's not something that's ever going to be stagnant. Your tribe might not necessarily be the same, you know, thing, things are always changing in that way. But, it, but I think that's why it's important to be aware of it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And going back to the idea of like dogs providing opportunities, because like dogs are a relationship, right? And they're they're also, part of our tribe. they're part of our tribe. Yeah. And we need to be able to say no to them. Hmm. <laughs> Right. Like I'm thinking about like sometimes Muggins wants to go a certain way on a walk or walk for a certain amount of time. Um, and I need to check in with my capacity. Like, am I getting hungry? Am I Yeah. dressed for the weather? Like, am I cold enough or warm enough? And uh, how's my social capacity? Do I have the capacity to give more instruction or to answer questions from other walkers? Um, and I don't always. And I have to say like, no, or I can't go that way. I have to go home now. I think I have that a lot with um, being around them all the time because I have the capacity or not emotional capacity as in like physical capacity <laughs> to be around them all the time. Because Um, of your schedule and like how because you of interact. my schedule and my life. Yeah. Yeah. So I can theoretically be with them all day. Um, and I think sometimes learning when it's too much because it's not good for them. It's not good for me. I get frustrated and annoyed um, and I need space from them and they can be alone for a little bit, you know? Um, so that's, that's something that I've learned to do with them. And again, like they give us these opportunities to learn these, these things um, and to learn more about ourselves. Um, you know, they're just, yeah, they're very powerful uh, tribe members. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah yeah very important tribe members yeah. Mm Well, that was a really great conversation. -hmm. I really enjoyed it. <gasps> mm -hmm. me too yeah thanks for exploring this with me Yeah, and it was really fun to explore a topic that I haven't explored before. I I really feel like I put my like, you know, what's that famous uh, uh, mystery man? What's his name? Oh, Which one? the <laughs> one with the Sherlock big Holmes? Sherlock Holmes. Yes, I feel like I put on my <laughs> Sherlock Holmes hat and there you go. uh, well, really came from a place <laughs> of uh, trying to find out the mystery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Curiosity and not Curiosity. judgment or like expertise, perfectionist. Yeah. Yeah. All <laughs> the things, urgency, <laughs> right, right. everything <laughs> else we talked about, success. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool that we kind of like this season, we went through this trajectory and like addressed, talked about all these things and kind of that helped us to get to a place where we could explore neurodiversity from such a different or like a diversity expect accepting perspective. Absolutely. I think that's really cool as well. Shall we move into our care tip? Oh, yeah. What are you going to teach us today? So um, it's called the humming bee breathing exercise. And so humming can be a very powerful form of uh, calming your nervous system. Um, and uh, monks have been using humming and uh, especially... Hindu or Buddhist monks, they use um, humming and mantras, humming mantras as a way to connect, you know, with the spiritual realm.
um, and connect with the earth as a whole, I would say. So we're going to practice doing that today. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Like thinking about the vibration that you. Vibration. Thank you. That's the word I was missing. (laughs) Thank you, Sharon, for always remembering or figuring out what I'm trying to say. I could not do this (laughs) podcast without you. You're welcome. (laughs) Who knows what I'm talking about? I just have trouble finding the words sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, I got you. No worries. (laughs) Thank you. All right, so um, what we are going to do, I'm actually going to put my mic down here because I need to. Can you hear me? Is this okay? I can hear you. Yeah, is that comfortable? Or it's weird. <laughs> you know what? I'll just do one ear. So I'm I'm gonna demonstrate with one finger. So we're okay. gonna close our eyes, and um, I'll walk you everybody through that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a deep breath in through our nose, and during the exhale, we're going to cover both our ears and we're going to just do a humming sound. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. And you can do it for as long as the breath lasts. So we'll try to do it together um, for as long as the breath lasts and let's do it three times. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's close our eyes. Take one deep breath. Now count down from three, two, one and we're going to go for our first breath in now cover your eardrums and hum breath in And exhale, hum. Mm. And our last breath in. Make sure your eardrums are covered and hum out. Open your eyes when you're ready. I love that. Me too. (laughs) I feel like I can get really immersed in my own internal world when I do that. Yeah, it feels really like rhythmic and... I feel like my whole body vibrate, my organs, but in in the nourishing way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's like a... It's like really grounding because it's like helps you to really feel your body yes yes absolutely and the thing is also if you do this with other people too you you connect with the humming um it's like the ohm uh, and you find you know you can hum at different pitches but there's a there's this amazing soul connection that happens when you're doing it together mm-hmm. oh yeah like we're all accessing a certain like frequency like physiologically in our body yes 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 I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so next week we're going to talk about uh, neurodiversity in dogs mm-hmm. and that's going to be a really fun one. I'm very excited. And that's going to be our last episode of season two. Wow. I know. Good job us. 
good job us yeah. <laughs> we need to celebrate somehow <laughs> yeah um we'll find a way to celebrate and we'll let you guys know listeners <laughs> definitely until then and, do you have any, um, oh. have updates to share yeah you know what I don't know if I do because I'm just getting back into the groove of things. I would say just keep following along our Instagram. Um, no major updates at the moment. Um, just uh, getting back into the swing of things for 2024. Mm-hmm. Awesome. How about you? Yeah, I am still getting back into the swing of things. Um, you may have missed me on Instagram. I've been on a little bit of a break there. Um And that's because I am working on nurturing myself and my business and establishing foundations and structures so that I can cultivate community um, and engagement and like really um, operate in a way that's more sustainable for me. Um, But I do have two workbooks that you might be interested in if you identify as neurodivergent or Um, you just, uh, want to take a sensory based approach to your relationship with your dog. One of them is a free workbook called the sensory overload volcano, and that will help you to understand your dog's reactivity from a sensory based approach, um, and recognize all of the sensations across a day that might be contributing to their big explosive reactions. And then it'll give you a strategy for problem solving through that and learning how to adjust the environment um, to support your dog in having less and smaller reactions. And then the other one is my sensory safety planning workbook for $22. Um, That one goes more in depth and helps you reflect on experiences that were difficult with your dog and then use... um, a sensory exploration to identify tools and supports that you can use or boundaries that you can set. Um, and it has like activities that you can do with your dog throughout that process. And you can find both of them on my website, hc-collab.com. Sounds great. Those workbooks sound amazing. Um, yeah, I guess we'll see you guys next time then. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support the show, go to buymeacoffee.com slash HDHH podcast and send us a few bucks so that we can stay awake and energized to make more content. Even though we are licensed professionals in our own field of work, Angela, LCSW, Sharon, OTD, and CDBC, This podcast is not intended to replace individual therapy for humans or behavior support for dogs. We approach our conversations from an exploratory, observational, and strictly personal lens. If you are struggling with your mental health, your dog's behavior, or if you or your dog have experienced a recent traumatic event, please see the resources section on our websites for a list of resources and places that can help visit either www.hc-collab.com slash happy dog, happy human, or www.clouddoodles.com slash happy dog, happy human. This podcast is made possible by the collaboration between Cloud Doodles and Human Canine Collaborative. Check out our websites at www.clouddoodles.com or www.hc-collab.com. 
Special thanks to Tom Fox for support with editing and production consulting. You can find Tom at tomfoxphotos.com. Special, special thanks to Muggins, Duchess, Pepper, and Biscuit for sound effects and story examples. We could not and would not ever want to do this without you.